I often uh, tell my wife about the sermon that I'm going to preach that upcoming week. So on the week I first preached this message about biblical womanhood, I told my wife I'd be preaching on womanhood and on her creation as a helper, on her call to submit and to grow in womanly dominion over the home. And I told her all this stuff and Later she came to me and she said, naturally I do not like this stuff. I do not like the idea of submission of all, of, and of all that I'm called to. But experientially, and she means this after years of walking with the Lord, I like it. It fits me. Being a wife and a mother fulfills me and I am fulfilled and challenged. And if I had listened to the world... I never would have known that. Naturally, a biblical vision of womanhood does not feel good. Naturally, it doesn't even sound good. Guys, you get to be the leader, and women, you get to follow, submit. In a worldly way, there's no way that can be good because the, the submissive position in our way of thinking is always the lower position. And it's often initially rejected. About five years ago, I preached this sermon for the first time, and I, I didn't know this, but there was a young lady from Delaware attending Emmanuel Church, the church I pastor, for the first time. She had just moved to Louisville, and she was attending our fellowship And uh, when she did, I preached this sermon, and she decided she would not be coming to Emmanuel again. She was out of there. But months later, she kept hearing these things from different sources, and she decided to come back, and she's now a pillar of our fellowship, and she actually lives with my wife and I. God can bring people around. And He can bring Christians around to truths that don't initially sound good. There's many times that the truths of the Word of God don't immediately... They they should. The shepherd's voice should be embraced immediately by every sheep because the sheep hear His voice. But because of the flesh and the distortions of the world, sometimes it can take time for the sheep to hear and embrace and submit to, and delight, and to teach others, and to commend what the shepherd says is good. And so many times, a biblical view of femininity and of what it is to be a woman does not feel or look good. Now, the feminism that has gripped this culture over the last 40 years... 50 years is exactly the opposite. Feminism naturally sounds good. It sounds good up front. It sounds like a liberation. Uh, Feminism has changed over the years, but essentially it promises release from the shackles of being a submissive wife. It, It promises relief from the burdens of being a full-time mother and from the imprisonments and the drudgery of home life 
and it sets women free for a sexual freedom and full equality with men. Now, that sounds good. I mean, who, and, and who wants to be the preacher who's against liberty? <laughs> who's against freedom? That's like pretty much like picking a bad fight if you're going to say anything against liberty. But modern feminism does not set women free. It enslaves them. And that's not something that only Christians are noticing. Germaine Greer, one of the most powerful voices in modern feminism, has written this. As more and more women work outside the home, as more and more women walk out of oppressive marriages, we might find the quantum of female malaise to diminish. We might expect things to be getting better. The evidence seems to be that it is getting worse. 30 years ago, this is not Nancy D. Lee DeMoss talking. This is Germaine Greer. 30 years ago, we heard nothing of panic attacks or anorexia or self-mutilation, now the icons of female suffering are all around us. So feminism, which sounds good, winds up tasting bad. Sharon James, in her book, God's Design for Women, writes, Women today rightly enjoy greater educational and employment opportunities than our great-great-grandmothers. And just in case there's any doubt, I think it's, some of the things that feminism was won are excellent. Didn't come through the church, but greater education, greater dignity in some areas is not something the church needs to oppose in a return to traditional values. Remember, we're not out for traditional values. We're going to find as we go along in the sermon that the Proverbs 31 woman pretty much has a PhD in everything. <laughs> She's amazing. Women today rightly enjoy greater educational and employment opportunities than our great-great-grandmothers would have dreamed of. We are not saying women should be less educated, and yet we see increasing rates of depression, anorexia, mental health problems, sexually transmitted diseases, infertility, the emotional pain of divorce, broken relationships, post-abortion syndrome, the sheer exhaustion of being a single mother and the pressure of trying to succeed on both career and family fronts at once. She continues, an increasing number of writers are building a convincing case that women have not been liberated by modern feminism. They have been betrayed. Now this is key. She says, this is a time of opportunity. When the idols are falling down and failing, when the prophets of Baal have cried out to their God and He could not light the fire, it's time for Elijah to step in with the truth. It's time for the people of God to proclaim the truth and declare, there's no truth to your idol. All His promises are lies. And the Word of God is the only Word that sets people, and specifically here tonight, women free. And so what I want to begin to say tonight is that we want to hold out a biblical vision of femininity because God has designed women a certain way and you will never be free until you know and embrace and delight in and commend a biblical vision 
of what God wants for women. And I want to say something because maybe follow that up a little bit. I have found that among Christian women who embrace the scriptures, it can be sometimes hard to get them through all four of those stages. Okay, I believe it. That's only the first step. I I embrace it for me. I don't want anyone else to know I've embraced it for me. But I embrace it for me. I delight in it. My wisdom is folly. God's ways are best. I would be a fool not to go God's way. And finally, and I am more than willing to be a fool for Christ and to commend it. May God give us that kind of obedience in every area of our Christian lives. And especially tonight, might He take us a little further in our obedience in embracing biblical womanhood. So what was woman made for? What was woman made for? And it can all be summed up in one word. She was made a helper. She was made a helper. We know that who she was made to be is equal in the image of God. Equal in the glory of God. But in terms of her purpose that she was made for, it's really summed up in one word. She was made to be a helper. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15. The Lord God... Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commended the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good. The first time those words are ever uttered. Not good good is when you've got a man alone on the planet. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. It could be translated a helper like opposite him. A helper to complement him. Literally a helper fit for him and really literally a helper like opposite to him. So that means that in the very fabric of a woman's being is an orientation towards a man. Now, you may say, but I'm not married. Where am I supposed to find an outlet for this orientation? In the one true man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we're married or single or widowed, there can be a a fulfillment, but make no doubt the way she's made is with an orientation to Him. One writer wrote, the man needs the help, the woman needs to help. He is called to work and must receive help from her. She is called to work through ministering to Him. He is oriented to the task 
she is oriented to him. And let's let's just so you don't think I'm pushing this too hard. Let's see that the apostle Paul re- repeats these very ideas in 1 Corinthians 11, really in in words that are make most of us uncomfortable, but they are the words of God to be believed and received and rejoiced in and commended. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8-9 through But man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And remember, Eve came from Adam's rib. She was taken from him. Neither was man created for woman. But woman for man. So you see, there's an orientation. She's a helper for him. She is created for him. You want to test this? Men, if you want the surest way to drive your wife crazy, just don't tell her about anything you're doing. Why does that drive women so crazy? Because you're cutting them off from the very thing they were made for, which is to help you, and you're hiding you. You do your sphere, I'll do mine. But that's not the way it is. It's I'm doing my sphere, you're helping me in it. You're for me in it. There's an orientation towards Him. This was illustrated to me so perfectly in the life of my pastor's wife years ago. She's since gone on to be with the Lord, but my pastor back home in Canada was a brother by the name of Darcy Coots. And before Darcy was a pastor, he was a mailman. And then after being a mailman for a while, he was called into full-time ministry. And his wife Peggy was once asked, when, you were, when Darcy was called to be a pastor, were you called to be a pastor's wife? And she said, no, I was called to Darcy. Mailman or pastor? Or retired pastor, go back to mailman. Doesn't matter. She was oriented towards him. He was concerned about a task. She was oriented towards him. Now, I'm just going to be very honest with you. Our, our gut reaction is that this is miserable to be oriented towards another person. You will always find joy in God's ways. Always. Or you'll find misery trying to find joy resisting God's ways. Now, how does she help? What does it mean to be a helper to a man made in the image of God? What does it mean to be a helper to a Lord and to a man who is to be a husbandman and a savior and a sage and glory? What does it mean to be a helper to this kind of man? And I want to point out four ways that she is called to be a helper to him. And I wish I could preach all my sermons tonight because I know as soon as I'm done, the questions are, but what if I'm single? That's tomorrow night. Well, what if I'm married? That's two nights from now. <laughs> what if we've had kids and can't think anymore? That's three nights from now. 
first way she helps him is by being his intimate companion. By being his intimate companion. You know, one of the things people say, and they think they're being so smart when they say it, is women are just more relational than men. Really? Last I checked, it wasn't good for him to not be in a relationship. Man, it's no virtue that you're unrelational. It's called sin. It's not good for you to be outside of a relationship. You were made in the image of a triune God who's never known a millisecond outside of relationship. It's not good for you to be alone. You were meant to be in a relationship. And this sort of patting ourselves on the back, like, well, she can't relate to me because I'm not really geared for relationships, but she is, is not, is not this thing to be proud of. We need to conform our thinking to the Word of God, which says that He needs a helper and it's not good for Him to be alone. And the way the Word of God tells us this story means it's very important that she be the kind of person who can relate to Him as an intimate companion. I've read these verses before, but I'll read them again. Verse 18 of chapter 2, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. She helps Him By being His friend. By being His intimate companion. It's not just by performing a role. It's not just by doing the laundry. It's not just by doing some feminine roles, some jobs. It's by being a friend in the process of doing those jobs. Then the Lord God said, chapter 2, verse 18, it's not good that a man should be alone He's so unrelational. No, that's not what it says. It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Do you see the the writer of Genesis working up tension here? I need to make a helper for him. So what will I do? Stop the text. Let's parade every animal on the planet in front of him. Why? To drive home one solid point. They all won't do. They all won't do. They, have, they don't have the mind. They don't have the dignity. They don't have the creativity. They are not equal in glory made in the image of God. And so they will not do. They can't be a friend. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, she's made from him, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. She's made for him. Then the man said, I didn't need this. I'm so unrelational. (laughs) That's a lie. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then it says something amazing. It says, Therefore, now this is what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, 
Therefore, because God brought Adam and Eve, because of this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What's the logic there? What's he saying? Adam was brought to Eve, therefore you've got to leave your parents. Because your relationship with your parents is not the original relationship. The original relationship every person was meant for was a married relationship between one man and one woman. Adam and Eve were the first relationship. The first relationship was not mom and daughter. The first relationship on earth was not father-son. The first relationship on the planet was husband-wife. Therefore, a man needs to leave his father and mother and get into that relationship. That's the friend, intimate companion relationship that men and women were made for. And she was made to be his intimate companion. Now, in the mystery of God, he thought that if you needed to be in a relationship, men, you needed someone like opposite to you. Now, there's all kinds of studies about what this means for a woman to be like opposite to a man, fit for him. And some of them are men are more analytical, more into the bottom line, she's more into relationships. And I don't know what to make of these studies. I don't see evidence for any of them in the Bible. I don't know to break I don't know how to break down exactly how men and women are opposite. But I've lived with a woman for almost 13 years and I just know it's true. <laughs> My wife and I, if we were to write a doctrinal statement of what we believed, it would look exactly the same. We believe the same things about God, we believe the same things about salvation, we believe the same things about the church. We believe the same things about the ministry. We believe the same things about men and women. And we come at every issue like ships passing in the night. <laughs> time after time, it never fails. Like We always look at each other like, how can two people who agree as much as we do never come at anything the same? And the tendency men... Sorry I'm preaching to the men so much tonight, women. I'll try to... I'll try to. But the tendency, men, is to think at a moment like that, this is not a problem I need. No, it's a blessing you need. You need someone convictionally on the same page who just looks at all of life differently. But men demean their wives. They ignore their wives. They laugh at their wives. They scoff at their wives. How many times, men, have you heard your buddy say something and your wife says, I've been telling you that for five years? Maybe it's just me. You need to embrace that like oppositeness. And women, you need to know whether your husband vindicates it or not, God made you the way you are for a purpose. She was made like opposite to him to be an intimate companion. You know what I found? When, when you begin to embrace this, you wind up with the best friend 
you could ever have. When you cease to demean and diminish the contribution of your wife and begin to, wow, the way you look at that doesn't make any rational sense to me on the surface. But I'm going to think about that. And maybe, give me an example. When we moved into our house, we were going to paint the house. And I thought, one color. (laughs) I want one color. Taupe or something. This is wartime living. My wife said, does it cost more to have different colors? No, I I guess it doesn't cost more to have different colors. It, It might be nicer if we had different colors. And it is. It's a lot nicer with different colors. But before I listened, I couldn't care less. But I, I tell my wife all the time now, she's the prince and the pauper home decorator. I give her the budget of a pauper. She makes me live like a prince. <laughs> and, and men, you have got to commend your wives in this. You've got to celebrate this. You've got to delight in this. Tell her. Don't just... It's like the husband who'd been married for 50 years and his wife was sitting there crying one day. And she's like, I just wonder if you love me. And he said, well, I told you 50 years ago on the day we married that I, that I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll tell you. <laughs> it, it's a funny joke, but it's a world of heartbreak for many women in this room. And the humility it's going to take... You know what happens after marriage sermons? The worst kind of driving home. And men, I would just commend you to look over and say, there's much more commending I need to do. Much more appreciating of you, my intimate friend, made specifically to me, to be like opposite to me, a helper from God. It's a beautiful gift from God. She was made for that. Second thing she was made to be a helper in is she was made to be queen of the domestic domain queen of the domestic domain. Now we've seen over and over that man was to take dominion, that he is to go forth and to subdue the earth. And we we see this impulse. uh, One preacher called it the tree fort impulse in young boys. This desire to conquer everything in my backyard. I've insisted that my wife let let our boys do this. My boys are digging a hole to China in our our backyard. And my wife hates it, but I've insisted that it's important that they be allowed to dig this hole. And... um, And men have this desire to spread out domain. And you think, well, what about women? Where do they fit in? They were also told to subdue the earth. They were also told to dominion, right? 127, let us make them in our image and God blessed them and sent them forth to subdue the earth. So it's not just Him. He leads in it. But it's not just Him. She is to exercise dominion over all the earth. And I... I want to point out to you that the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the main place she brings dominion is in the home. In the home. She is queen of the domestic domain. Let me read to you multiple passages. Will you look at them with me? Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Titus chapter 2. Uh, Verses 3 through 4. 
the Apostle Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. We see here that young wives are to be learning how to be working at home, loving their husbands, loving their children, caring for the home. Now, I want to say a little aside. This ought to be happening in the church. And and you college students need to make it very clear. The main thing you need when you're 21 years old is not more 21-year-olds. You need 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds. You need the people who seem so out of touch with reality. You know what they are? They're in touch with reality. And they need to become your mentors and your guides. And one of the things we encourage in our church is you want to be mentored by an older woman, volunteer to babysit, volunteer to do the dishes, volunteer to help because she hasn't got time to go for coffee. 21-year-olds are like, let's go for coffee. The mom's like, coffee? (laughs) And, And so get in there and serve and get with these older women. And then older women who have embraced, who are living out and who delight in this role of women and commend it. Commend it. Let your voice speak out against the lies of the devil that say that the home, and I'm going to get into this further in a bit, the home is no place to serve and tell them that it is God's place to serve for her. 1 Timothy 5.14 Unless you think I'm just building this off one verse. 1 Timothy 5.14 So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. What do you do if you lose your husband early? Generally, Paul would say, marry again. And get back into the realm of domestic dominion. Taking care of your home. And building up another home. 1 Timothy, uh, I won't go there. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wisest of women builds her house. What do the wisest of women do? She builds her house. But folly with her own hands tears it down. So the path of the wise woman is in building her house, in managing her own home, in loving her husband, and working hard at home. Now, in our day, that sounds as bad as saying you ought to return to slavery. Because we have utterly demeaned the home. We have devalued the home in every way conceivable. My wife and I were out for a date one night, dinner one night, and a Christian couple noticed us and they came up to us and they said, we are so glad that you're out here having a date. We're so glad you get to have a real life. Notice where real life happens? On date night, when you're away from home. My wife, I love her, she looked and she said, my life is very real. 
all the time. We've got this mentality that you live for the weekend. You live for the evening. You you live for the time when you're not at home. But home time is wasted time. If people are at home all the time, you know what we say to them? You need to get a life. Because you don't have a life if you're just with, say, your mom and your dad and your children investing in each other, serving each other, eating meals together. The very thing that God says is so important and so vital, we say there's no life there. It's a lie. Our culture has made the home a place of slavery and death and demeaning drudgery. But all it takes is one reading of Proverbs 31 to know that a woman who is managing her own household is an amazing woman. She is not watching soap operas, eating bonbons, just wasting her life away when she should be getting a real life. The woman of Proverbs 31 is an amazing woman. So why don't you look at Proverbs 31? I I love this passage. Now, I I feel constrained to say this every time I preach on this. Proverbs 31 was not written for women. Okay? Every woman who's been a Christian for like 40 seconds has been to a women's conference where they preached on Proverbs 31. She's been handed a book with Proverbs 31 on it. Wrong! Proverbs 31 was for men. Why do I know that? Because look at verse 1 of chapter 31. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him, She's like, my boy's got no idea what to look like look for in a girl. I'm writing Proverbs 31. <laughs> and I, I, tell, I tell the men at our church, you want to get off pornography and find a biblical wife? You cut the pornography out. You memorize Proverbs 31 until that's the kind of woman you want. You know what it says at the end of the chapter? It says, beauty is deceitful and ch- charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. Well, that's exactly what men want in a woman. She's pretty and she's charming. Bad combo. This woman's amazing. First of all, she's rare. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. She's better than money in the bank to have this kind of woman. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that's almost a blasphemous statement. You don't say you trust any human being in the Bible. Trust not in man who has but breath in his nostrils. Isaiah chapter 2. And yet with a godly woman, the heart of a husband rests in trust in that woman. Right now, I'm away from my wife from five days. You know how worried I am about it? Not one bit. She's faithful. Utterly faithful. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. You need to be born again to do that. To want to serve someone else and do them good at cost to you all the time, every day of your life, in a sphere, the home where no one watches. You've got to be born again to do that. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She does textile and fabric development. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. 
She is a professional buyer. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. You know, the ships of the merchant would bring in all the things from all over the world. That's what she does. She's like, they got the pineapples from Costco, or, you know, from Costa Rica over here, and they have the amazing, uh, Vienna sausage over here, and she's, she's bringing it all in, and the man opens up the cupboard, and he's like, she is like ships from the merchant. <laughs> and honestly, brothers, years after the looks have faded, this will bless you. She rises when it is yet night and provides food for her household. So she's a chef for a small business. Seriously, this woman probably had... She was a wealthier woman. She had maids and maidservants. And she gets up early and makes sure they've all got food. She does real estate. She considers a field and buys it. And then she does. Uh, she plants a vineyard. She does. She she makes wine and does agriculture. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She is not a waif. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. The girl is trying to look like a supermodel and is anorexic trying to get there. Can't do this. She is a shrewd merchandise appraiser. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She's like, I can make some money for the family with that. She's a weaver. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She does home-based, she does home-based uh, um, social work. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches her hands to the needy. She's caring for those in need. Can you imagine if every Christian woman in this country began to devote herself to making part of her ministry from the home the care of the needy and the poor? We might wipe out social services in a heartbeat. She's prepared in advance. She does, she does uh, advanced preparation and she makes reliable high-end winter gear. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes a nice bed, which in Proverbs would be contrasted to the bed of the the harlot and the prostitute and the adulterous woman. She makes bed coverings for herself. And then she doesn't dress... Sometimes people think to dress ugly is to be godly. To to dress as, as plain as possible is to be godly. She, on the other hand, her clothing is fine linen and the royal color of purple. She dresses with beauty and dignity. The best things my wife ever heard, her dad told her when she was growing up, modesty and beauty are not opposites. Her husband is known in the gates. The gates, of course, were the city hall of the ancient Near East. And of course you'd be known in the gates. You're freed up to take on your vocation when there's a woman like this working at home. You are liberated to do the things God has called you to do in the public sphere when home is taken care of. Now, when you're out at work and your wife is ringing up the credit card bill to something you can never pay for and there's no food in the cupboards and the kids are screaming and no one's taking care of the home, you are not known in the gates except maybe right before you get imprisoned. 
You're not, you're not known in the gates. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She lives by faith. She laughs at the time to come. There's snow coming. I got scarlet in the closet. I thought about that years ago. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's a biblical counselor who's full of wisdom and kindness. She looks well to the way of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She is not lazy. She's hardworking. One pastor has said, Mothers, if you are always tired, you're probably doing something right. Many women await. Her husband, her, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Now listen, children, your mothers are being told every day that their job is useless. That they have wasted their lives. And you need to get in your mom's face and kiss her cheeks and buy her flowers and tell her that she is to be praised. And you adore what God has done in her life. And husbands, you too. Do you see that? Do you see this verse? She is to be praised by her husband. You don't tell her once every ten years. You've got a woman who's being bombarded with the fact that she's wasting her life. She's useless. She's utterly devoted to a useless institution called the home. And then her husband never says anything about how good what she's doing is. It's not the way it should be. Well, it might go to her head. It will not go to her head. It will encourage her deeply. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, brothers. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. Down at City Hall, they should be talking about the mother of the year. That's what that says, right? Let her works praise her. And what were the gates in the ancient Near East? They were the city hall. They were the the gates of the city where the formal transactions happened. In city hall, where women are currently demeaned, they ought to be praised. And certainly that ought to start in the church. The church ought to be a place where godly wives and mothers are commended and esteemed and honored. Dorothy Patterson has pointed this out. Our culture does not appreciate what women have to offer as long as they don't... Our culture does appreciate... Listen carefully. Our culture does appreciate what women have to offer as long as they don't do it at home. If she goes to the factory every day and makes meals for families that cannot cook for themselves, she is liberated. If she stays home and cooks for her own family, she is enslaved. If she goes to the daycare and takes care of someone else's kids, she is liberated. If she stays home and takes care of her kids, she is demeaned. Do you see the double standard? She is praised in the gates if she goes outside of the home. If she stays in the home, she is demeaned. She needs to be liberated. If she cleans a toilet as a maid in a hotel, she is liberated. If she cleans her own table, own toilet, she is degraded. 
We just bless you. Every wife and mother here. Praise God for your work. It's also helpful for evangelism to have a woman like this in the home. Many of you know of Dr. Francis Schaefer who started the Labrie Fellowships in Switzerland and answered the intellectual questions of an entire generation who would come to his home and ask questions and he would give answers. And one person wrote, as many people were brought to the Lord by Edith Schaefer's cinnamon buns as Dr. Schaefer's sermons. <laughs> and someone will say, are you saying all women are good for is cinnamon buns? No, Edith Schaefer wrote 20 books too. The biblical vision of women is not enslaving. It's not demeaning. You will not find that you're having talents unused and skills unmatched. You won't find that your undergraduate is wasted. You'll wish you had 20 undergraduates to have prepared you for what you're called to do in being a wife and mother. She is a helper to Him as His friend and intimate companion. She is His helper to Him not only in this, but also in the realm of being queen of the domestic domain. Thirdly, she is a companion, she is a queen, and she is the lover who shares with him in passion and pleasure. She was made to share with him in passion and pleasure. And I know there are different ages represented here, so I'll try to just read the text and move on. But let me read a few. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. After a day of staring at monkeys and dogs and giraffes and hippopotamuses, God brings Eve to Adam. And he, it's the first poem in the Bible. And of course it would be. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. She was made for this. They were made for this. For the passion and pleasure of coming together 1 Timothy chapter 4 tells us that anyone who says you shouldn't receive the good gifts of marriage is a demonic teacher. It is no spirituality from the Bible to rise above the pleasures of sexuality. They are to be received from God. Look at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5 and I think we're going to go through this with some of the men after the marriage talk. But in Proverbs chapter 5, after warning about the adulterous woman, we have this word for young men. And you can just catch the imagery. I don't think I need to explain it. 
Speaking about a wife, it says, drink water from your own cistern. Take the water from your own well. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated with my son with a forbidden woman? It is the duty and the joyful duty of every married Christian man to be drunk with love for his bride. Fourth point. She is the mother and nurturer who gives him help in procreation. What was Adam supposed to do? Be fruitful and multiply. That he definitely could not do alone. He needed a helper like opposite to him. And she is the mother and nurturer who gives him help in procreation. The core, the core of the way a woman was designed is to be a mother and a nurturer. And someone might say, well, I never had children. We have some wonderful women in our church who've never had children. And I think we could say of them what Paul says of Rufus's mother. In Romans 15 or 16, he says, Greet Rufus's mother, who was a mother to me as well. Those who may not get the chance to be a natural mother can be mothers in the church. We have a woman in our church, Patty Withers, who never had children, and she is a mother to dozens. Dozens. But when able, a woman is a mother and a nurturer who gives help to him in procreation. You know, it's. It's almost, it's almost ridiculous that you have to say that. That a woman is meant to bear children. I mean, isn't that the most obvious thing on the planet? Biologically, it's just, it couldn't be more obvious that her whole body was meant to conceive, to feed, and to nurture children in their most vulnerable days. In the womb, but we live in this sort of society that looks at people as a Mr. Potato Head, and you're allowed to take your parts off and put them back wherever you want them. But that's not the way it's to be. God put our parts right where they were meant to be, and they're to stay there. And she was made to bear children. Titus 2.15 is so key here. Titus 2.15. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, 1 Timothy 2.15. Paul says, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, I find that 1 Timothy 2, 10-15, every verse is controversial, and they just get more controversial the further you go down. 
So first, verse 9, sorry, verse 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. That's controversial. People don't like to dress modestly anymore and just to cover their sexual parts and not to cover them with spandex, but to cover them loosely. And so what's not being drawn attention to is their sexuality in public. But then verse 11 is controversial. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she has remained quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And then perhaps most controversial of all, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What does this verse mean? First of all, let's just rule out some very obvious things. It does not mean you get saved by having a baby. When something contradicts the plainest teachings of the Scripture, we rule it out. You're saved by grace through faith. Not by any work, not even by having a child. There will be infertile women in heaven. There will be women who never had children in heaven. Well, some would say it means she'll be saved through Mary's childbearing, through Mary having a child, pointing to Jesus. But it would be kind of weird to say, yet she, women, will be saved through the childbearing of Mary if they, plural, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. It's not pointing to one, it's not pointing to Mary, that's utterly out of the context. It's saying that women will be saved through childbearing. Not that they will get saved and be born again, but ultimately on the last day, the way they work out their salvation with fear and trembling is in the process of childbearing. So here you are, you're saved. You have to remember that salvation in the Bible is in three tenses. Right? You are saved. You're being saved. And finally, when Jesus returns, you will be saved finally and taken to heaven. And it's not saying you're going to get born again by having a child, but it is saying you work out your salvation with fear and trembling by bearing children in that context. And then on the last day, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not for general good works, but for doing what God told you and built you to do. The rejection of children in the womb is high-handed rebellion against God. She will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now here's what I find with modern Christians. If you tell them, not that I have any experience with any other kind, but here's what I find with the modern ones. If you tell a Christian, you need to follow Jesus, generally, all things being even, they will agree. I need to follow Jesus. If you, need, if you tell them, and Jesus decides where you follow Him, He doesn't just tell you to generally follow Him in love, generally follow Him in faith, but He actually says, if you're a married woman, you follow Him in childbearing. And if you're a man with children, you follow Him by being a good father. 
But I want to go to the mission field. Well, you can go there if you've got your house in order and your kids are being taken care of. But Jesus doesn't just decide that you generally obey Him. He decides where you obey Him. And then people begin to... Okay, so now I'm completely under authority. Absolutely, it's the best place to be. Best place to be. And I can attest, just having been on the phone with my wife this afternoon and watched her for many years, that there are few places harder to continue in faith. I've told him a thousand times. I've brought the rod out a thousand times. Is this working? We're not asking if it's working. We're asking, does the Word of God command it? And commend it. Have you ever noticed that one preacher pointed out the Proverbs repeat themselves over and over? My son, my son, my son. And so if you're repeating yourself all the time as a parent, you're doing something right. (laughs) Where else is it harder to continue in faith and love? Where is more unnoticed love required than in the process of motherhood? And holiness. Not an outburst of anger. I heard one time about a preacher calling people to repentance. They had an altar call. Nineteen women came to the front. I think all of them were repenting over anger with their children. We need to support our wives in prayer. We need to encourage them. They are to continue in faith and love with holiness and self-control. But I like staying up till 2 in the morning. Well, that's fine if your kids are taken care of. But if they're not, you need to go to bed. You need to control yourself to care for them. You were made for this. You talk about a high calling. Now, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It's rocking the cradle of the future lords and husbandmen and sages and saviors. And, and glory of the earth. It's rocking the cradle of the future nurturers and providers and, and women who will help these men. It's, it's nurturing those who will go on to glorify Christ as male and female. Listen. Men go to, 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 to work. People say, it's just changing diapers. Well, working in a factory is just turning wrenches. You know, every job's got a certain degree of drudgery to it. But the, the product, and I hate to use that term, but the, the product in your hand is not a, a car or a, or a food product you made at a factory. To be a mother is called to bear and to nurture and to raise the image of God. The image of God. Can you imagine a more high calling? Can you imagine a more high calling? And so I want to say to you sisters, repent of every other vision of womanhood. Reject it. Believe the Scriptures. Embrace the Scriptures. 
rejoice in the Scriptures and commend the Scriptures. Because God has not made you second-class citizens in His kingdom. He has made you reflectors of His glory in His image. And I want to say to you men, it ought to be abundantly obvious to every woman in the church that men think that these kinds of women are amazing. That the men of the church, they don't just say, did you hear about Adoniram Judson when he went to Burma? Did you hear about him? They say, did you hear about that young lady who quit doing so much public ministry after she had two kids? Managed to get to the public meetings but was so busy at home caring for others that no one saw her for years. But man, those kids love Jesus. And the widows of the church tell me she brings them to visit them with her kids. We ought to be telling missionary stories about the mothers of our churches. May God give us grace to do that. Let's pray.